I'm gonna interrupt you because we're gonna, we're actually gonna start a show. Okay. I mean, it, we're we're looking at a Zoom recorder, but this is gonna be okay. on iTunes. And we're already getting hits. Gotcha. So and you're gonna be on there. All right. And I'm Coyote Gannon. I'm with Noe Maltos, and we are missing Robert Myers because he went to the wrong location. We're praying that Robert makes it home tonight. I would have went and got you, Robert. I'm sorry, but you're about an hour out. And I need to do an interview. Next, prove I'm the best. What moves I possess? Ill intellect, state of mind, northwest. Yes, I'm obsessed with higher consciousness. Levels to progress, riddles to dissect. My heart beats in my chest. Yo, yeah, I need to catch my breath. Well, yeah, I guess we can start with uh, what what is shamanism, right? I mean, shamanism is probably the first religion before their before religion existed and it, and it's not really religion so 12 before 12,000 years ago before the main religions came to be there was shaman shamanism and that's what the tribes practiced for thousands of years that you know millions probably and um so what is shamanism it's like uh, as terence mckenna said he's, it's revealed knowledge through forced experience so shamanism is many different methods and techniques to attain the shamanic state of consciousness. And that's what shamanism is. And uh, it, can go, it can go way deeper into that too, because there's different levels. Like the first initial shamanic experience would be for somebody to dissolve like the boundaries of normal perception yeah. of what we're in, just 3D, our 3D frequency that we experience. So you dissolve those and you experience something else, and what's really common for people is to feel like connected to everything. That's a common theme. We are all one. Uh, that's a common theme that people feel when they come back. What real shamans do is that they take it that step further is to where uh, when they go into the shamanic state of consciousness, they're aware that that reality awaits them. Yeah. It's like this universal, universal consciousness that awaits them, that everything is alive. So they're aware of that. And the shaman goes in there, they push the envelope, and they go there to bring knowledge back. And that's the next level, because the first level is kind of like being woke. And that's how they describe it. A lot of people describe it as being woke for the first time. Everything is new. Everything is made new. Kind of like what the, the Buddha's name is, the awakened one. You're awoke. Right, okay. right. And so with Buddha, like we are talking about different techniques of shamanism, so... Some of those techniques that Buddha, I think, and Gandhi went through were like the food, not eating the food, and they get themselves in such a, a state that their condition is so weak, you know, that, it, that they start to hallucinate, and then it brings about, you know, the, they lay on the bed of they're nails. As, they're ascetics. Yes. They, just, they would not eat, and they starve themselves for long, long periods of time. Yeah, so that's a method of shamanism to attain that state of consciousness but then uh, one of the more common ones and then i think it's probably one of the more powerful ones and definitely the main one is the plant is the plant uh, experience whether it be uh, mushrooms or ayahuasca or uh, the uh, peyote you know or the tribes yeah. in australia there's uh, they have plants that contain uh, ibogaine and um so or what's the one in what's the one in Africa though? Is it is it the Baku, or is it Burku Baku, or the one that Graham Hancock talked about taking in his book? Yeah, and that was one that contained uh, the compound ibogaine, and he went through a very dark experience. And uh, it was funny because I listened to Terence McKenna talk about some of these African tribes and some of the amounts of psychedelics that they take, and 
is way more than you should take he said <laughs> yeah it's more like whoa they take they go above well he had like a doctor on hand too when he did it and he had a, a practicing shaman didn't he he had yeah graham hancock is like the he's kind of like an indiana jones type character to me because he's went to this the amazon and done ayahuasca many times he's done dmt he's done all what's crazy too things. about the dmt is people don't know it's natural we we, we're getting doses of it all the time it's just when you actually get it from something else you're just adding to your own dosage yeah basically it's a great thing to learn about if people don't know about it to learn about dmt dimethyltryptamine and learn about what your pineal gland is inside of your brain and learn what it does how it functions and you'll find out some stuff that you didn't know that it secretes different hormones uh, and it regulates them to the rest of your body like serotonin and melatonin and when people have intense dreaming, lucid dreaming, their pineal gland is secreting DMT. It's it's spontaneously com- producing this DMT. And you and wake up and you feel everything was just so surreal. You were actually there. Pretty crazy, yeah. I mean, even they even describe it in like intense sexual encounters where you know, like say, two people are really having that sexual moment and they're soulmates. You know, it feels like metaphorically like their souls are one well what actually happens there too is that their brain is producing more dmt from the pineal gland i was i was thinking when people have that you're just saying how they have that what is it a what kind of experience a lucid dream yeah yeah or when you have that waking dream or was it or is it a hypogenic when they're going that hypogenic and they think everything's so real and they and then they have that alien abduction experience that's even weirder yeah, that is strange. And then, I mean, Dr. Rick Strassman, who conducted DMT trials in Arizona in the 90s, he was, he was given a legal license to practice giving DMT to people intravenously. And he came up with the theory that people that experience alien abduction might be spontaneously producing more DMT in with their pineal glands than other people. It makes sense, too. It, it does. It completely makes sense. And he also said, too, that it doesn't mean that what they're experiencing isn't real. It's just that we need to expand our definition of what reality is. There's so many questions that science can't answer that shamanism actually can. I mean, these guys have these old ideas and have been considered primitive, but if you really listen to these guys, they... They know a lot about the true nature of reality. You know, all these questions that people think are mystery, they have definite answers for them. And in uh, Don Juan, you know, the, a couple of his methods in that book to get there was peyote. Um, I think he called it mescalito. Mes- and, and even in the... Mescaline. He, yeah, and even in the book, he uh, refers to the experience as you're going to come into contact with somebody. He says, when you meet... I can't remember what the name was, but so when he... The Holy the Guardian Peyote, Angel, maybe, I don't know. It was something like that, but it was more mysterious. I remember in, when, in the book, when he encounters this person, when he's at the height peak of his peyote trip, Carlos Castaneda sees a person next to the river that has like a bag over their head. It almost kind of looks like a scare, scarecrow type figure. Yeah. And he looks into the eyes of the darkness of the bag and there's stars, like infinite space. So that's kind of, I mean, that's... Just one small example of the shamanic experience. It's kind of weird and terrifying, kind of wonderful, fantasy, strange, all at the same time. And it's kind of scary, too. <laughs> we're, we're talking about this, and we'll probably get some... I'm thinking, this is like... People would consider shamanism like Eastern thought. And it's not really Eastern. We're like... 
I mean, what is West and East? And I think we're talking about reaching that state, and maybe that's why original Christians fasted a lot, because they didn't think of going to get these plants. They just thought, well, if we fast a lot too, we'll reach that state that all the other people are doing. Yeah, and even though I don't really agree with a lot of the mainstream religions, there are uh, people that are in the faith that have experienced those states of consciousness. For example, uh, I don't really know when this occurred, but this is a fact that there are these priests that all decided to take psychedelics on Good Friday. And these priests had never taken psychedelics before, so they all decided to do it. It was like a pact. They all decided to do it on Good Friday in order to see what one of those experiences would be like. And they all had an amazing experience. They all kind of came back and said that they experienced the oneness of God. They experienced the oneness of God or the oneness of energy, that kind of stuff. And later, the priest said that they were able to reach those states of consciousness without the psychedelics later on because of the point of origin or point of reference, I would say. Yeah. From being there before. Like a point of contact, basically. Yes. I got a burp. That's all right. Oh, there we go. So yeah, I'll put that on. I'll put that on the podcast. All right. Maybe we'll get like ten or twenty more listeners. Oh, he burped, but it, they're not saying anything profound. <laughs> yeah, they're. I kick, bet it's if we kicking in if now. we sat here and cussed and burped the whole time, you'd probably get like a thousand or million listeners. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you'll cuss when you're on the in the shamanic experience. I tell you that. Well, like Terrence McKenna describes it as, and even Graham Hancock, a lot of them describe it as taking these plants just as big as going skydiving you know, making that kind of decision in your life. Like you're going to, this is a forced experience that you're going to have to go through. And uh, Terrence McKenna talked a lot about the yogis as well, how they would meditate and get to certain states of consciousness. But overall, he felt that shamanism isn't really authentic without the plant experience. The Native Americans can legally grow peyote. If you're part of the Native American church, it doesn't matter which tribe you are from in the United States, you can grow the peyote. And, and generally, uh, what I've read is that the peyote ceremony is very similar for all tribes. It's like yeah. a dusk till dawn type of thing. And the pe- they eat peyote buttons. They're these little buttons. And in order to get to that stage, they have to eat about eight to ten of them to get to that hallucinogenic uh, state. And uh, if you were to separate like the mescaline from the peyote, you would get a different experience because eating the peyote it's more concentrated or there's other things that go in with the peyote there's these other uh, alkaloids that will make you feel kind of sick kind of dizzy oh those kind of things so it's more physical experience when you kind of like when cart was that carlo castaneda was explaining he was puking yes he gets sick in the book it's pretty wild because i'm reading that you know you eat eight to ten buttons to get that experience and in carlos castaneda book he talks about don juan passing around the thing and and they're eating 15 to 16 of them. And he didn't want to do it, right? I mean, and he was, yeah, he didn't want to, but he was eating them. And they, so from what I've read, that they were taking a heavy dose. They were taking the powerful dose. And even in the book, uh, Don, uh, Carlos Castaneda writes about waking up in water up to his neck because Don Juan had to submerge him because he wasn't coming out of the state that he was in. Yeah. It was that serious. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it can get pretty wild. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. You read that book and you're like, Don Juan's like, he remind, reminds you of your grandpa almost. And he can, he can take these things and he's just totally straight when he does it. But it's, it's Carlos Castaneda. It's all these other initiates who can't 
it's not about who can handle the most. It's just like I've already been. Maybe it's maybe he didn't even take that much. Maybe it's just a trick. A trick. I've already been there, so you can go there. Kind of a deal. I don't know. I mean, right? It's kind of it's kind of interesting character. He and and Don Juan seems like almost like a, a trickster character too in that book. He you can't really put your finger on him because he is very. Uh, I mean, one of the stories when Carlos met him is that. You know, first meeting him, he was very stoic. He looked very strong. And then after they said farewell, he turned around and he took about five steps. And when he turned around, he said that Don Juan was about 60 feet away. And he just couldn't couldn't understand how he moved that fast. It was strange. He felt like a, like a trick had been played on his mind. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> kind of what he does in the books. Like he, I wouldn't be surprised if he did do that. Like he, Like he's not taking the full dose, but he's letting Carlos experience all the things that he'd already experienced. As a teacher, yeah, he's kind of throwing him in the water to see if he can swim. Some people fear change and fear going into that, but it's and, and and people, some people might equate it with like witchcraft or magic. I mean, there's no spells or anything like that. A lot of it's just um, what what Don Juan did is just playing tricks on playing tricks on Carlos Castaneda. That's what it seems like a lot of it is. To and me. Don Juan, yeah, and he to, almost to seems neutral. Him. He to, seems neutral in the books to teach him in a certain way. To yeah, t- to teach them to go in a good direction, and people don't realize that they're not these people out there being drug. I mean, boy, Carlos Castaneda is like a, a he's like a world renowned anthropologist, and people don't realize that he wasn't just some druggie out there getting red eyed for the experience. He's like he was really interested in what Don Juan was doing, like because he was he was like, oh, Don Juan was always one seems like he's always one step ahead of him. So he's like, well, what the heck is he doing? And so he's just going along because he wants to know. And he doesn't know why this old man is just like the way he is. Well, it's such a great book, sir. All those books. I mean, um, I think the significance of what Carlos Castaneda did in the books uh, is pretty awesome, and people should read it. I, I, I was listening to a shaman online. I looked him up. I, I don't even remember who he is for the people that are listening, but I looked him up, and he was an Indian guy. And I'm an Indian, and I'm like, hey, it's an Indian guy. Mm-hmm. And then he was talking. He was like, there's a lot of irresponsible use with it he's like this is meant for this religious not necessarily religious but a spiritual experience you're always supposed to have a spiritual experience so and then that respect i started thinking about all the people that just use everything for just not a spiritual experience just because they want to feel better like they use pot or alcohol because they want to feel better I mean, they don't really get an experience out of those, but... <laughs> well, even hashish was used in old shamanic uh, techniques. I yeah. remember some of the descriptions of people that would eat hashish, they would describe stuff that would sound like an LSD trip. So they were, they were reaching the ecstasy of, you know, that point where they were trying to go to by eating the hashish. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's interesting as well. There's all these uh, different plants. And I think that the irresponsible, like the recreational use, it's easy to kind of get into when you're young because you see other people. I mean, I remember somebody would say, you know, mushrooms, are you going to see pink elephants and stuff like that? Never did I think, oh, mushrooms, you're going to get into a confrontation with authentic being and feel that everything is one. I wasn't even old enough to contemplate those kind of things yet. You know, I was still young and dumb. And, uh, and then you see why people have bad trips. I mean, in shamanism, one of the main functions that you're called upon to do is to surrender to the plant. That's the main function that you're supposed to do is to let it take you. So that's where you get bad trips. If you don't 
let it take you and you fight it because it's bringing up what's buried inside of you. Yeah. So if you don't do that, then, then you will have a bad trip. That's, that's, that's you fighting it. 50% of it is mental, you know, as long as, uh, well, I, I don't know if that's exactly scientifically, scientifically correct, but that's what the shamans say. They talk about the state of mind that you're in counts just as much as the plant that you're about to take. I remember reading that somewhere. You got to have the right set and the right setting for what you're doing. It's it, and and when I always think of it, I always think of like having sacred space and and making sure everything's cleansed before you actually take on an experience like that. I don't think recreation use would be surrendering surrendering to the plant, would it? I mean, when you surrender to the plant, you let it take it where it wants to take you. You're not trying to direct it like. Like, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sit down and eat a bag of Cheetos and play, you know, World of Warcraft for 10 hours straight. That's going to be cool. No, you. the plant doesn't want you to do that. It wants you to maybe do something else. True, true. And I think maybe some maybe it works for some people. But uh, definitely, I think that the, the plant also has a mind of its own. That's, so that's it, really true. Yeah, I mean, so uh, it would recognize the set and the setting as well. I mean, I've had friends tell me that, oh, you know, they, they took a bunch of mushrooms in a setting where they're at a club. You know, the club flashing lights, commotion, yelling, noise, and then they had a bad trip. And then somebody else told me, oh, they went out to the forest, and they took a bunch of mushrooms, and they felt at peace. They felt yeah. at one. They felt enlightening moments. They even cried a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was like a good cry, and then they came back. Their lives were changed. And they can, it brings out all those, maybe those psychological things we need to deal with. I mean, the... The, the grief, I mean, in life. I mean, to me, I, I look at things and how people else outside of our country have access to this just so they can go out and have that moment. Whereas in other cases, I mean, you've got to sneak it somewhere like into a dark nightclub and do it. Yeah. And hide hide from people, hide it from people, <laughs> hide, hide among the hedonists who aren't going to care what you're doing. You can't do it in a group of people who really care about life, you know, which is, which really, I was going to say bass backwards, ass backwards. Definitely. I mean, the way of thinking about it, because you'd think you'd want something that actually help you along. I mean, we, we have stuff that affects us. You said it has a mind of its own. And so I, when you say that, I start thinking about it. I was like, maybe a lot of these different substances and plants that we are already consuming as part of our culture, our fast food culture, have a mind their own, you know, and I, I really see that. I, I keep saying that to people. I'm like, society has a, is really a mind of its own. I mean, and I'm not saying it as a, a metaphor, saying, no, I mean, society is, is a separate entity and it has these tentacles and it's trying to get into us. And people will be like, oh, you're crazy. Why do you see it that way? I was like, because I've been studying it so long. It just drives me nuts. And you have to look at it from a standpoint of energy as well. I mean, if you want to, if some That's people... That's exactly what it is, energy. Sorry, but go ahead. No, if some people want to look at it in, in a scientific, um, you know, like they need facts, okay, we can just look at mushrooms. Let's look at mycelium and the way that mycelium works. So mycelium is the vegetative state of fungi, which, grew, which sprouts these mushrooms. And what's going on in the mycelium is that they're so intelligent that they're constantly sending information to each other. So the... So mushrooms know when to release spores and how to survive. They'll even mushrooms will even create wind to carry their spores to another place. So Paul Stamets, Mr. Mushroom Guru, this guy who knows mushrooms, he feels that mushrooms are sentient. And he feels that they know that we're around just like we know when they're around, kinda. So then you can 
also think about like, wow, well, maybe some of these shamanic experiences or people that end up being shamans and taking these plants aren't choosing the mushrooms all the time. The mushrooms are choosing them. That's, that all, could be trolling. There's true. a synchronicity. There's a synchronicity to it. And so it's like if you get in tune with the synchronicity of the universe, then it shows you things. <laughs> in case people don't know who Paul Stamets is, he's a, he's a really smart dude, and they should just look him up. Definitely. And, and, and listen to him and take the time to actually listen and say, oh, this guy's not for me. Just take the time. He's a smart guy. Yeah, but yeah. that is actually, excuse me, my turn to burp. I'll cut that out. That's good. You're good. <laughs> But it's interesting that he actually, I don't, I don't want to say he actually believes that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's weird. He believes that plants choose us and they're sentient. And it's just like, um, what do you think your dog does when he likes you? Or, I mean, just think about that, how cats, cats choose people. Cats are jerks. And we know <laughs> cats are jerks because they choose people. Same thing with dogs. How come any other living sentient being couldn't do the same thing? And that's, my my view is probably different than Paul Stamets, but that's the kind of view I would take personally. Is like, well, even for farmers, they probably have a favorite goat that comes up and walks to them every day. You know, that's that that's the animal choosing them, and that's not just animals. I think it's like you said, plants, the mushrooms, they're choosing us, and and maybe we're not always in tune to that. Maybe I'm not in tune to that because I don't I don't even look for that. But maybe. Some sometimes they are, and I'm just not in tune to it. I think it's easier to see when you're out in nature. Like you look at a tree, and you're like, "Wow!" You feel like it's if you want to feel like it's reaching out to you. You feel like the whole forest is like reaching out to you. Sometimes when I'm out there, and it's just to me, it's really amazing that we miss that moment for a lot of other things. Like when we go camping, we go camping, we set up camp, and all of a sudden we're cooking food and we're living our regular life. We live here again. We're not out in the forest looking at this amazing stuff. So I used to have a, have a beef with one of my cousins because of this, because we would go out to the forest, and I love the forest for that reason. I go out there to feel the, the nature. Yeah. And my cousin, we're great friends, best friends, but he will go out there and he'll take out his Bluetooth speaker and start blasting heavy metal once we get out to the forest. And so our mindsets are on a totally different plane. Like I'm thinking, hey, man, we just left the city and all this ruckus and all this noise and this mechanical society to come out here to where we have no cell phone reception and I want to hear the sounds of nature. And he puts on a Bluetooth speaker and starts blasting heavy metal. And I'm thinking, that's, dude, that's the last thing I wanted to do when we were out here. You're bringing it out? So anyway, but yeah, that's, that's why people go out there to the, to the forest in the first place. You know, the, it's a common theme. A lot of people talk about that when they're depressed or when they want to go, they go out to nature because it makes them feel better. And it's not, you know, it's energy, but it's also scientifically fact. Like when you're here in the city, there's an overflow of frequencies in the air. There's Wi-Fi, there's all kinds of distortion. Even when you're sitting at home, you got the TV off, the noise from the traffic outside, sirens, everything. So when you go out to the forest and you get away from all that stuff, your natural senses get heightened. Yeah, they do. They get heightened, yeah. And and, and I think when you go out to the forest, like... Before we start recording, you were talking about Boulder Caves. And right now I was just thinking, like, when I'm in the forest, I walk into the dark intentionally away from the firelight and let myself adjust a little bit. And people might think that's weird or off. And I'm like, no, you, you come, your senses get, like just what you said, they get a little heightened 
And the same thing I was thinking about Boulder Cave. It's dark. You walk in, and that darkness kind of envelops you. And 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 it's not a creepy, bad darkness. It's just, it's just what it's there. It's just regular. I mean, people might think, oh, there's boogeymen hanging in out there, or, or Sasquatch, or Sasquatch can kill me. What else? What else is there? Skinwalkers. I'm trying to think. Mothmen. Stick Indians. Stick in. Yeah, stick Indians. That stick Indians are gonna get us. I'm like. Uh, probably not. The, <laughs> the, the, the things you got to worry about are bears and cougars, and I guarantee you they're not going around where they know tons of people are going to go. Definitely. And if a squirrel gets jumps on your head and scratches your face off, it, that could <laughs> happen. I don't know. <laughs> I know you're probably more likely to sprain your ankle. But <laughs> but it's interesting, the, the whole concept of the darkness. I mean, uh, Rumi wrote, the wound is where the light comes in. And that was on a movie we just watched, too. And I, and I like Rumi, too. And I was thinking, um, well, what about the darkness? I mean, if, if we're really going to go metaphysics and physics, quantum physics in general, that darkness is the other layer that we don't see, the multidimensional layer that the shamans actually see that we don't, you know? And, and it's thick. The darkness is thick. I mean, it's very... It's strange. I used to be afraid of it. I used to be afraid of it. I watched The Exorcist when I was 11 years old and couldn't sleep with the door closed for a month. Nice. And uh, I was at, at the time, I was raised in the Catholic uh, school and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. that, that really freaked me out. And then I had uh, times where I just had to be in the darkness. Like, I kind of had no choice. You know, sometimes I, I remember being lost in the woods once, just for a tiny bit. But there's complete darkness, and then your senses change. And you kind of have to make a choice, too. You know, there's a choice. It's like, you're going to be afraid or you're going to try to get comfortable yeah. here. You know, you, and so you adjust to that as well. But, yeah, the darkness is very thick. Um, when you're in the shamanic state of consciousness, and I've heard this from a lot of different people, but it's a very common theme that the darkness is almost like its own uh, stuff comes out of it. Yeah. You know, the, the visions. It's like watching a movie screen. Uh, you can even go into it, you know, so it's, it's very, when, when you go sweat, you're in pure darkness and it's just hotter than hell, literally. Yeah. And it's scary. Well, to me, it's scary. I, I, that's another I, technique, isn't it? <laughs> like the, the, you know, they're in there and they're hot and they're sweating and it like, induces it's pure a darkness. Fever. They put so much layers on the outside to not, no light can get in there at all. So then they get to the point where they're hot and their parts beaten and, and then they have an, a shamanic experience from that. A lot and of that people. gland is probably giving them a little more DMT than they actually probably need in that moment. I, that's what I'm thinking. And well, I've heard some interesting stories about the sweat uh, lodges. I mean, even uh, people that I know that are close to me told me that they saw little, you know, fireflies floating around in there yeah. that were spirits. And then after the sweat was over, the one who was leading the sweat said, without anybody else mentioning it, that, oh, the spirits were strong today. They came in the form of little dancing lights. And that's what the other people in the tent saw. And they even, uh, when they were telling me about it, they didn't know if their eyes were playing tricks on them, so they would wave their hands in front of the lights to see, you know, if the, the perception between their hands and the light. And they said that it was real. Yeah. They said that it was real. Uh, whether or not... <laughs> or, it could, or it could be a... If we wanted to go scientific, well, it could be a medically induced... You know, some kind of hallucination, a trick of the eyes. Well, I think what happens too, pressure and yeah, stuff like that. 
Well, scientifically, I think that we also know that there's different uh, frequencies like 3D, 4D, 5D. So 11, 11D. I think, there's, I think they have up to 11 dimensions now or something like that. Those quantum physicists have decided on, or physicists in general. So rather than some, I think that some people think that maybe you're just high and you're hallucinating. Rather than thinking that, think of it as maybe your frequency is getting tuned a little bit differently and you're able to perceive other realities. Maybe that's what's happening. You know, because a lot of people, uh, if they want to contest that people are just making up stuff, or not not making up stuff, but just hallucinating yeah. just because they're high, the evidence suggests otherwise, because so many people go to the same places. They come in contact with the same entities. They bring back the same messages, but they're, you know, they don't always look exactly the same. Some people come into contact with what they think were goblins or dwarfs, and then somebody else describes it differently, all these small these small beings that looked kind of strange. Yeah. You couldn't really tell if they were evil or good, but they brought me to this place. Well, they have goblins and, and Welsh, and here they have steak Indians, but that's all little people, one of the same. And they have Minahunis wearing Hawaii or something like that. Yeah. And they're meeting these. People are going to these states of consciousness and coming into contact with these small entities all the time and going to these places and bringing back the same messages. So it doesn't seem like they're just hallucinating. It seems like there's an... <laughs> well, because that's what they actually the substance actually does. It just turns up our receptors. So, well. so, 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 like, instead of hearing, we can't hear, was it below 19? Was it? So, it's 19 hertz. I think it's below 18 or something around there that you, that's infrasound. They call it infrasound. They say it can actually make people sick, but we don't see it. And a lot of people don't think, well... Well, if you're taking the substance, maybe you're actually seeing that. Maybe you're you maybe you can actually experience it without. Maybe that's actually why you're getting sick. Maybe it's not even the substance making you sick. Maybe it's the actually infrasound that you can finally hear, right? And all these other frequencies that you're not used to making you sick. Kind of like kind of like when people like see a 4K TV, they're like, "Wow, that's weird." Right. That's just it's because you're seeing more than you're used to, or you see 30 frames per second film versus. Uh, Actually, what what was it? Uh, the New Hobbit was shot at like sixty frames per second or something like that. And that's why so many people didn't like it because it just threw them off. We're used to twenty four, and if you think about it, we can't even see it twenty four frames or thirty frames per second or sick, let alone sixty. We we're seeing around twenty four to twenty eight frames per second on our own. And it's we just, can only perceive so much. <clears throat> yeah, we can only perceive exists. so much. But <laughs> well, your point is right in that. I mean, you're adding way more than you already are used to to your senses. So, and that's, it's, that's what's creating this trip. And it's not really a trip. You're just seeing all this stuff that you've never seen before. And that, that's actually a good point, actually, that you made. There's good stories that back it up, too. Like, as far as, um, there was a, there's a story about a gentleman who is probably about 80 years old, and he wanted to take mushrooms for the first time. This guy was deaf, you know, couldn't hear anything, and uh, wanted to have an experience. And he has an experience out on the beach at the peak of this mushroom trip, he hears this little chatter. Like, uh, he hears these footsteps, and he doesn't know what it is, and he's looking around, he doesn't know what it is. And he, can, and he looks over, and he sees on the ground, there's a trail of ants. And what he's hearing are their footsteps. And this guy was deaf before, but now he, you know, that's uh, neurogenesis right there. So what happens in the brain when you're on psilocybin is that it cuts off it like, it like dams up the part of the brain which perceives our normal reality. And as a result of damming up that area, the rest flows to the rest of the brain that was not being used before. And that's scientifically correct. If they look under a brain scan 
of your brain not on psilocybin. The energy waves are bouncing around, kind of minimal. And then they show a brain scan of, of it on psilocybin, and the energy waves are bouncing all around. The brain is being used in ways that it wasn't before. That's like going from a Geo Metro to like a souped-up 67, you know, Camaro or something like that. I mean, that, Holy smokes, yeah. I mean, that's how I, I see it. Every time I see it, I, I see it go, from going from a, a cheaper car to a really souped-up car. And your car is just, I don't know if it's running better, but it's running super fast, and it's getting more information than it actually usually gets the car is conscious the car <laughs> itself. is conscious itself finally and it takes you yeah so that's pretty interesting i had a couple friends that had great uh, amazing trips on mushrooms and some of the things for example that they would see would uh like one of them described uh, watching the river actually slow down they watched the river and it was going at a rapid pace white water and then all of a sudden it just slowed down and this is one of the things that they just like they saw with their own eyes and, and of course, somebody else will say, like, well, that didn't happen, right? <clears throat> but there's different things that they perceived. Like, uh, he also perceived when he closed his eyes and looked at the, the, his eyelids as movie screens, he could see geometric shapes while yeah. his eyes were closed. And he could also hear a humming frequency. And with the humming frequency, when it went louder or lower, the geometric shapes would change. And uh, he also experienced a stillness. At one point, we're looking around, and it looks like nothing is moving, and a, you know, a very strange silence, and then also feelings of euphoria. And then coming back, you know, people still describe it as a as a wonderful experience that changed their life, um, being being awoke for the first time and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. So some of those experiences that I that I've heard overall. You can, you can tell which ones are the bad trips because that's when they were taken recreationally or irresponsibly or not in the right set or setting. Yeah. And the enlightening ones were taken in the right set and setting, right time. Uh, you can even take it further if you want, like, the crazy set and setting. You can go when all the planets are aligned. That's probably when the, the plant chose you. Wow. Right, for, for that moment. Yeah. Instead of, oh, I'm going to choose you for this moment. <laughs> well, definitely, because the people that that do the techniques of shamanism out in the woods will will do a pre-ceremony too like they'll they'll say for example some of them will hold the mushrooms and talk to them really? <laughs> and talk to them and talk about how beautiful they are and say thank you for this amazing experience just to kind of get a pre-setting of it you know uh, some people do it differently a lot of different ways um, I know that you can just eat them and you can chew them uh, or you can grind them into a powder and some people like to take them as a powder uh, Psilocybin mushrooms used to be preserved in honey because the honey would stop the molding. Yeah. And in the, I can't remember quite where it was from, but they used to take the honey that they would preserve the mushrooms in and then make a beer out of that fermented honey. And therefore, people mead. would have a psychedelic mead. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I thought that was, that was pretty interesting, too, that people would have that. Vikings, Vikings, going on psychedelic trips. Wow. That's why they they saw the Vol Fathers. They saw Odin. Yeah, 